Bartolo. I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Racken and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we dive into data operations. Um, this idea that with all of the work we're doing in AI and ML, data analytics, analysis, that you actually have to steward your data. You have to be able to have processes, controls, um, a lot like what we have with DevOps in infrastructure, but similar types of concepts, governance, controls, automation around how your data is flowing in your system. And so that was the topic that we took on in this discussion. I know you will find it fascinating. Do you think the Cray acquisition plays into this stuff? Because that wasn't, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that as, as a proof point for what you're describing. I'm, and maybe we yeah. need to have a whole session about quantum. I, I mean, it, maybe I'm just not tracking the right channels. I haven't seen quantum as, as that material of a, I'll send you a few links uh, from a few vendors' websites that you'll be very surprised at. Okay. And not not, not that I'm boosting the country, but we have two innovation clusters in Quebec and Ontario, both geared to AI and one in particular to quantum. We kind of lead in that area. Um, And the two are cross-pollinating each other. All the universities in Quebec and Ontario and BC, um, but there's a lot of startup action and there's also a lot of known companies that are taking advantage of that. And they're all funded, they're all getting funding from the federal government. So uh, they're, are there, they're making strides. Yeah. Are there particular... No, no, no. Like it's, it's a it's a countrywide initiative to lead in both those areas of technology. I I just and and the app and, or, and the applications that are surfacing for it. I yep. guess that's the. I mean, what what are they? What what are what are people surfacing as as the utility for quantum? Is it just performance, de- encryption, statistical analysis? Maybe I just don't. It's it's encryption. It's statistical analysis. It's yeah. um, wow. How do I describe this in a nutshell? Um, if you're sitting in a lab environment of any kind, whether it's you know for a particular um, hard good like car and you want to reduce the amount of lithium that goes into the batteries, let's say, for cost or weight, mm-hmm. um, you use quanta wherever you can. Uh, if you're university-oriented research for healthcare or drug discovery or anything like that, you would use it the same way because the amount of computations that you can do per millisecond is X times what you can do today on other kinds of computing so it's early days okay. there is a lot going on believe it or not it's a little bit like um risk versus risk that it with quantum you, you can do some domain specific computations very very fast right uh, it's just not a generalized application yet right 
are you are you seeing a lot of use of quantum against um fully homomorphic encryption i mean uh, i mean that that's that's what drove early quantum so sure. so yes uh, well the question is is it continuing is it making it out to the you know into production and being used yeah in any particular a, fields yeah there's a pilot ongoing right now that i i can't name the players but i can tell you that it's a major healthcare provider and it's to encrypt test results and all of the pii for healthcare and it's a in massive a project yeah in a i'm sorry it's a massive project yeah yeah is it okay is it primarily well two two areas that seem to be kind of uh, that where fhe makes a potentially makes a big difference is in the whole collaborative um area where you've got multiple players consolidating or compiling their data from a variety of sources but only in the under the condition that uh it remains encrypted and there there is a um is a real prohibition from uh anything that would leak that information so it's yeah. not just <laughs> maintaining PII it's for example in in uh, in insurance um all the insurance carriers are obligated to benchmark themselves against everybody else in their in their industry their industry segment that right. by regulation the problem is they're also prohibited from sharing information or inadvertently leaking information to one another because uh that starts to look like cartel behavior so uh, they're in they're in a they're in a they're in a catch-22 so fhe has been one of those things that they continue to look at and look for but i'm not aware of any of the uh any of the insurance industry folks um actually running a significant project that's why i was asking joanne yeah no well okay so let let, let me make this localized there's three projects ongoing individually and grouped uh one in europe one in the u.s yeah. and one in canada but the canadian one is sort of managing the whole kind of thing because it's a public-private government partnership. So public as in hospitals and healthcare, government-oriented, and in government funding. Private because there's private corporations that are involved and academic as well. So IBM has a piece. There's other players that are in there as well. Um, one of the big pharmas is involved also. So they basically the way the structure is oriented is there's a Canadian arm, there's a European arm, and the, there's a smaller pilot going on in the U.S. 
to avoid. And some it's of an arm. It's an arm of a of a of an over of an umbrella organization. No, or just a, a no. collaborative. Okay. It's 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 a we need to do this. We because you know at some point when it comes to quantum or when it comes to AI, Canada and the U.S. will have to agree in some way, and we're all masters under the EU anyway. Um, we already have initiatives that have been publicly declaimed de de for innovation centers and for policy around AI. Uh, so we're kind of ahead of the curve there. And that's part of why Canada is participating. There's so much going on. It, it's it's really hard to put it all into short words that I can actually disclose uh, because, as you guys know, I, I work as an assessor. Part of what I do is an assessment uh, of these projects. Okay. okay. So, Understood. Uh, but the commercialization is definitely there. The uh, encryption part, Rich, I there's something that I can cleanse a little bit and then send to you. Yeah. I'm pretty aware of what's going on in Europe with FHA, but specifically, and I'm fairly up on what is being done commercially with conventional computing, basically with hardware assist that goes into, you know, a backplane somewhere, but yeah. not, not clear to me what's happening in quantum. I'm just not in that loop. I'm not and so well you know I, I mentioned to you guys that I was just you know in the process of doing my course with IBM on quantum, which is really interesting by the way. Really, really interesting. And to your question, Rob, about go to market and moving forward, think chips that are not made by NVIDIA. I Sure. I, it's a, uh, it, I mean, there's so much new hardware stuff coming out. I think people underestimate the, the how disruptive the hardware market's going to be from that perspective. Especially um, with risk five. I, I see. Do you see it coming in at the server level? Yeah, I do. Interesting. All right. I've, it, you know, we're it, it, interestingly enough. I feel like sometimes we're we see we're since we're so enterprise, we we're sort of slow adopters. I don't know how to get. Um, maybe this is a we just have to fund this, get involved in in more of the esoteric new new model stuff because we can be very helpful with that. But, uh, yeah. Okay. I think so. I, we could. Well, it's it's we we right now we we have a tendency to work where there's you know you know more established product even though we don't have to be there it's just a matter of where the where where the bills get paid nobody nobody pays for pro, you know to automate prototypes um even if they should be so all right i i'm i'm i feel like we've left poor dave out in the cold here well I, and our topic our topic for today is data cloud um and and all the all the data ops and this was this was a go back to data ops uh for the year which is i know one of dave's uh favorite topics here um and so so 
we got we actually got pretty far down in this. We were talking, so just as a reminder, um, I've been I've been talking through this sort of data DevOps concept, and what we what we got to was this challenge with there's multiple layers of data operations that I think is confusing from a market perspective my dog's barking in the background i don't i don't hopefully the mic screens it out you can't hear it yeah we we don't hear it it's amazing um but um but there's there's an element of building clusters and managing clusters and doing the operational work which um is one one side that i think when we think of devops that is a place where people think about it but on the other side of that what y'all keep bringing up that I think is surprising and interesting is all of the work necessary to manage the data, govern the data, and provide that type of capability, um, which has its own, you know, automation requirements, its own governance, controls, security, um, pipelines, all all of those things. It, are are those two just totally different topics? Or is there some con some convergence? Well, I think uh, a lot of what's happened in modern data stack and the data engineering, which overlaps, I mean, it's hard to distinguish when somebody says, "Oh, I'm 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 doing data engineering. I'm okay, you know, pulling I'm pulling together all of the piece parts, putting together." um dags i'm you know running big pipelines and to the degree possible most of the most of the technology that i see being used in modern data stack okay. is trying to abstract a lot of the underpinning that you were just mentioning and just, you know, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. Don't, don't bother me. It's, it's almost yep. as though there's a data engineering crew that is living above what you were just speaking about and delivering to the data scientist and the analyst and so forth, all of the, all of the goodies, all of the data lake so forth the platform if they don't touch as well they're not doing the ana the analysis maybe the only point in time where they actually get into analytics is when they do reverse etl watch the data pipelines pull out their operational data and feed it back into their own processes in order to optimize them but they're not they're not doing feature engineering. They're not. They're not doing major machine learning for a lot of these things. They're simply enabling it. So it's almost a. It's a. It's a three-layer cake. The weird. The place that seems strange to me is that my understanding was that to do the top level stuff, they actually had to do a degree of like firmware and patching on the GPUs or the the, the specialized processing chips. Like the the firmware, like the 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 algorithms and the firmware actually mattered at at that top level. Um, 
which is why I keep expecting somebody to be like, oh, I care about, you know, more of the operational components. But if that's not happening, then, you know, the, the platforms are, are... How many, I mean, are you talking to data scientists who are getting down into the firmware layers? I, I know that they are... No, I guess not. I, it's funny. They don't, I don't, when I've talked to them, they don't have very crisp definitions of how they're interacting with these pieces. Usually to your point, they're, they've got a platform that they're, they're queuing jobs up in a platform and they run the jobs. They, they, you know, they, they, they're faster if the cluster's bigger, but they're not. Because they're different. It's because they're different skill sets. Somebody that understands running infrastructure and operating infrastructure and doing updates and things is not the same skill set as somebody doing deep data science. They they are they are very different skill sets. But but don't right. they need specialized I, I mean the thing I heard is that, that they needed Who's specialized the they? they being the data scientists. So all right, I was at the not data science. This was I was at a high frequency trading show. Mm-hmm. Um and they're consuming all the GPUs and high high frequency systems, but they're very concerned about firmware updates, firmware embedding, specialized, right? Yeah, um, the the the, okay. the, the high speed quants are almost a, almost in a class by themselves. Okay, I mean, yeah, I mean they are so so tuned. You know, they're they're so focused on you know squeezing out performance i mean it's just they they okay. do you know crack crack the box open i don't know too many others even in, even in the um the pharma areas where i'm pretty familiar the data science that's going on in pharma doesn't generally have to have to go that route um, I would beg to differ slightly in the labs. It does. And the place where you find that mixed skill set is in manufacturing, in automotive, in aerospace, in defense, in high-tech electronics manufacturing, anywhere where you have a need to be able to mix the two together because your performance will change on FPGA. Your performance will change on where and how uh, software is embedded, EEPROM level. Who takes, who takes responsibility? Joanne, who takes responsibility yeah. for performance? Is it the data scientists or is it the, is it the uh, data engineering? Is it, is it infrastructure? I mean, the data scientists or the or the top top tier guys are going to be sitting there banging on everybody that says, you know, don't spend any more money, get these things through faster. I need performance. You know, squeeze everything you can. But is it the data science folks that are that are that are cracking it open the way the people in finance are? Or because I'm not I'm not seeing that. In some, it's it's, it's not. You know, you can make one comment for all. It varies yeah. by second. It's like in electronics manufacturing, when I was at Celestica or Intel or any of those kind of companies, yeah, you've got yeah. data scientists cracking those chips open and sitting with FPGA guys 
saying make it do X or you know increase mm. this foot or let's go to another nanometer chip or how do we how do we you know make the silicon more performant uh, on the heat side uh, and heat okay. sinking. You get a lot of that in electronics manufacturing, which is usually driven by any of the 10 industries that it supplies. So think space shuttles, think robotics. That's where those two skill sets come together. In heavy engineering environments where it's driven by customers more than, you know, here's the product that I offer. That's where mm -hmm. those things to come out. No, I, but I, they I, I, percolating up. I can I can see that, but I think in the average enterprise, it's it's the kind of opposite. You're not going to see yeah. you're not going to see that. It makes sense if you're an electronics manufacturer or a chip manufacturer, or you're deeply involved with hardware that you one would would want to and focus on hiring people with that kind of mixed skill set, and that you would care about those things. That that adds up to me. Uh, but if I think about, you know, I don't know, I'll target, if I think about target as a, as a company, yeah. it, their data science team is not going to be cracking anything open. Uh, they're going to have a separate infrastructure architecture team. Yeah. That's going to be focused on, on that versus, and, uh, and data engineering group. That, that's right. And we had that even at GE, um, you know, yeah. on we had we had a team of data scientists that were very much focused on tuning machine learning models, focusing on how to optimize to solve specific problems in a in a domain space. And then right. you would have you would yeah. have the data engineers that were focused on how do I get these data sets into a suitable form so that they can be consumed by the models that the data scientists are using. And then you had the general architecture and engineering team that was worried about how do, where do we run these models? How do we store this data? Where do we keep it? Where do we move it? All of those things. And that was kind of the general separation of concerns. And that's at least held true at, at the other places that I've been involved with, in what I'll call the general enterprise. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're perfectly right. I mean, uh, yeah. outside of the big ecosystem called manufacturing, and it is a big ecosystem, sure. um, I think the only place that it would probably be absolutely germane would be in pharma, healthcare, or life science, pure life science. So pure research. Uh, drug discovery and lab clinical and all of that and maybe in like in hospitals do, do you think that may be changing with some of the work with some of the cloud providers i know at reinvent this year there was a lot of talk around pharma and healthcare and specialization around drug discovery and such yeah because drug discovery you know um drug discovery is not only high performance compute and ripe for quantum, but there are med devices now. And you have, you know, think more from the consumer side uh, that will absolutely need that kind of mixed skill 
looking at it and working with it, whether it's, you know, anything like, and, I, and I'm sure you've seen the commercials for them in the U.S. There's now a, an implantable device to uh, for um, sleep apnea, right, that frees you from all the gadgetry that you had to wear. Wow, I haven't seen you that, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's being it's being advertised. Or e skins, which are thin layers of skin, not human skin, but a skin that's completely a computer. You can scroll it. You can do whatever you want with it. Any of those kinds of applications, and even some of the glasses that are about to be announced. Excuse me. As well as in car telemetry, you need those kind of capabilities together. So that's where I think um, uh, data ops is more going to be up, almost the way parametrics were. As in Hi. being able to mix all these ty types of like. Now we're talking about combining data as a specialty, not the actual mechanics yeah. of the systems behind the scenes. Okay. I, I still question how much um, we're, we will see um, a lot of these functions uh, leveraging AI as a way to automate even further. Well, you question you question its adoption, or you question its ability to to address it. I question the time frame. How long until we see this occurring? Because it, is it I don't a skills issue? Is it a skills and background issue? I, right. Well, and that's and I think that I think that it is difficult to find people that are good at being able to do some of these things. And you know, if you if you're able to analyze a uh, you know the heuristics of a data set. Um, you can get probably 90% there without a human. Um, and maybe you still need that 10% for a while until, until things can be trained to an acceptable level. But uh, I see a lot of those things being automatable. Um, even well, that's, that's, the, that's where the data ops stuff comes in, right? But where, do we even have the tools? for automating this like that i guess this is where we're back to there's there's process and people go ahead well what tools what tools what tools do know. you see is is lacking i mean with with python um you can do a lot of data manipulation now with python um and the libraries that are that are available in that ecosystem and if you've if you've ever asked chat gpt to write python code it doesn't do a bad job. Is it flawless? Is it perfect? No, it, yeah. it's not. But right. it does a pretty good job. Uh, so maybe your maybe your data, uh, you know, maybe your data ops team would have been a team of, you know, seven or nine, and now it's a team of three to five, mm -hmm. uh, something like yeah. that. And the eight, you know, the eight, using Asian tree. It, with with a lot of the the new tools, um, the quality of you know, the code I'm getting out of these things for you know Python, where it might have been you know first run, maybe it was an eighty percent solution, and then you had to sure. kind of massage it and run through again. 
it's coming closer to 94, 95%. And okay. that's pretty, you're, you're actually finding a lot more people who are using Python as kind of a, a Python and AIs as a means of doing data pipelines and building them without this, without the same, same kind of tooling that folks have had to use in the past. Or oh, leveraging. Actually, so, so you're you're suggesting that the, the the data ops here is is Python. I'm, I guess I'm looking at is there the equivalent for an Ansible, a puppet, or chef thinking about data ops from a right from DevOps for a data ops perspective, um, where there's a generally the the tool set is broken down into understood components that have a higher abstraction. Right, writing Python code is you know feels early to me and maybe i'm misunderstanding it the thing with python is you can weave together virtually any of the existing tools whether they be open source libraries and they don't have to be python written they can be java or rust or pick whatever you like and you can also use all of the uh services apis that exist out there and because all of these things have been documented and most of it has either been slurped up by by the AI providers or um, or you can simply point it to where the documentation is, uh, it can build you a functional, I'll call it a prototype of what you're looking for. I mean, maybe spend an hour, maybe that's huh? it. Yeah. And then you have something that's already got you as Rich was saying, 90 plus percent the way there, then it's more of refinement, tuning, optimization and such for your specific use case. I mean, I don't know how much more you really need. Yeah. And and with function calling being available, that's that's a big deal. Uh, I mean, there, the question is, do you need something that's an analog as you were you were thinking about it, Rob? Yeah. Or do you pay, take those existing piece parts and, you know, I hate to use the word, oh, you know, overlay, but it is in, in a sense of a kind of, you know, let, let the, let these kinds of intelligences right, use, that. use the deterministic aspects of those, ter- of those tools and, and do the job for you. But for what Joanne was describing, where you have these different sources of data, you're you're manipulating them, you're coming out with a result, or you're creating a feedback loop. Is that does that just become a custom application, or is there a standardized pipeline for those pieces? Is it just Python Python code that you're slapping this stuff it's together? Not there just are Python tools. code. It's, there are tools, and then there, and then what you're doing is you're making use of things. I mean, at a slightly different level, but what Microsoft uh, has kicked out called Autogen, yeah, um, basically creating specialized agents that literally go into a chat room, and you give it, you know, the the very the high order tasks, and set them loose you give them a budget okay. and it's 
it's pretty it, it's it's not as it's not as deterministic it's not as as rigid method, methodically rigid means of putting all of this together but the outcome when you watch and kind of review this transcripts of these agents talking to one another and figuring out what went wrong and how to fix it it's it's uh it's scary spooky and uh just exciting yeah yeah it it it's like watching a console uh ai if you've ever used that it's another open source uh and you can download it and and run it. It uses uh, OpenAI's uh, APIs, and it does the same thing. You give it yeah. a task, and it has a team of agents that will outline the task that needs to be completed. It will assign specific tasks to specific agents. For example, you say, I want to write a, a Python Hello World app. Um, it will outline what's needed. It will assign to the programmer the task of writing the Python code. You can watch it write the Python code. Then it will execute the Python code to see if it actually produces hello world or not. And if it does not, it will go back and suggest fixes to the programmer and the programmer will regen. It will do all of this by itself. You have okay. to, and not a, not only the pro. You're talking about the programmer agent, not yeah, that's yeah. correct. No, that's the right. way. Autogen, Autogen, Autogen is is also you know it's Microsoft and they have they have integrations into OpenAI, but you can also uh, build it on the back of um, open source uh, AI. Sure, like Llama so, or whatever, Llama too. Uh, but, but what you're describing to me is still not using somebody's data here. What you're you're describing is uh, LLM directed agent activity, right? Are we? Oh, well, on the contrary. What's the next? Okay. It will. It, uh, if the problem space requires you to put together, you know, a big, you know, data frame. Yeah. For example, and then test the data frame either for accuracy, uh, look at its performance. Those are absolutely within the realm of, of doability. And it, again, it's pointed at it, you know, at the the aspects that you're interested in optimizing, protecting demonstrating so forth it's it, it it actually kind of moves away from what human beings like very often which is a cookbook repeatable kind of a, of an approach okay. and as long as it can be as long as it's observable and and comprehensible to somebody reading the transcript then you know the question is all right um are there are there ways of of thinking about it that are there's that are different but, but i mean you can assign to you could have a an agent that is an expert on your data set and you could yeah. say yeah this agent has full access to my data set it is the expert on the data set itself 
any of right. the other agents can can query it about specific details about that data set. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're, you're talking about adding it, adding and it basically it's a gate an LLM gatekeeper, or it's an it's an agent gatekeeper for data. This that that yeah. to me is closer to what we're talking about with data ops, where yeah, where we're where we're saying, all right, I've got you know, and and. You know, man, it's I've actually managed. I've got to manage my data somehow. I've got to secure it. I've got to protect it. What you're actually suggesting is there's an API gateway that allows you to move from a higher order, you know, query, whatever raw data and, and actually say, here's an here is a system that is, you know, going to answer your questions for you. I guess I, I, I would argue it's not a single agent. I would argue okay. it's a collection of agents or a team. <laughs> and your data ops team is really a team of agents that have with skills. Specific, that's right, with specific skill sets to address the overall needs against that data set. And that yeah. team of, of agents <laughs> can address whatever your needs are. Yeah. It's a swarm. Yeah. Yeah. Swarm. Yeah. It's and a swarm. There, so there are so a couple some, of but, there, but is yeah. is an enterprise somewhere building basically taking their data set in uh you know in a data lake or in some on some platform and then you know building a platform on top of that to be this this intermediate. I, I guess now this is that because you have to operate. I, I guess there's a premise that I have that you're collecting data. You have to operate the data, operationalize the data. Right, and then you have to provide access into that pool of of information right. somewhere to make it useful. That's to me data operations. Well, you you, okay. you do, and at least the trend for the last I don't know since we all heard the term big data, which you can imagine how long ago that was. Now, um, yeah. it, there have been efforts. Uh, you can look at. Uh, we can go back. I'll throw out a lot of terms, data mining, uh, data warehouses, data marts, data lakes. Uh, you can, you know, we can data go on houses. and on. That's right. Data. Yes. Data lake house. Um, it, it, all of these things really boil down to the enterprise trying to wrap its arms around um, what to do with data. And the problem that every one of these things runs into is how do you properly separate data that you want available to other groups and departments versus data you do not want. So if you're HR, um, you and, and payroll may share information about compensation and such, but do you want that shareable to other departments? No, 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 you don't. You don't want that available. And HR might have access to benefits information that should not be accessible to anyone else, including right. payroll. And, yep. and so all of these divisions of, of function and such necessitate some boundaries in that data set. So you can't just as an enterprise, at least an enterprise of any real size, just throw all of your data into one gigantic database and say, everybody can just do whatever they need to with all the data. It, it, it seems it nice, work. but it, that's right. It doesn't work and it's not practical. And so well, what everyone struggles with is how do you how do you create the right security and and you know domain boundaries within that data so that you can leverage your data when it makes sense across back. And, and just like any human team, what you do is you establish policies and you establish and you 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 basically enforce those policies. 
at the at the interfaces at the API, you know, really down at the API call. You know, and, it, and does uh, this agent? Sorry. Yeah. No. No. I. I guess. And is there a tool or a platform or something that people are turning to 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 do that work, or how are they building it? That like. I. I think because that. I'm, Maybe I'm being too think, concrete, but uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, there there are platforms where people are trying to trying to achieve this. You know, that's one of the big things that Snowflake has done, as an example, is they've been yeah. working towards trying to achieve that mm-hmm. kind of thing in the enterprise with an entire ecosystem. So it's not just the platform; it's the ecosystem around the platform, um, and you know, is there a final solution? Not yet. No, but okay. there's work. There's work being put into trying to to kind of crack that nut. I you're. I mean, just from walking around like reinvent and things like that. What you're describing is there's several platforms that are trying to be the definitive data, or they're they're trying to be a data platform from that perspective. And I guess, yeah. And okay, just re- remember. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been busting my pick on that very problem for the last three, four years. Yeah, no, this is this is why I think exactly that's exactly where we are. It's it's fascinating and, to me that we've we you know, I, I know we want to call them data lakes. It, it sounds it sounds like they're data puddles, but I mean, there's we're, we're stuffing data in inside of mattresses, and. And, figuring out how we're actually gonna pull the data out and manage it and make it accessible is is it that's the operational challenge with this, right? It is. Okay. And a lot of a lot of the things that also go with you know there are need to be taken into account that are operational and um these are data ops. This is you know my data husbandry soapbox. Um one of the things you want to do is make sure that you don't have people just throwing the same data or variations on the same data into the same data lake and then trying to figure out which is the you know authenticable you know the the authorized version of a spreadsheet for example or a document and so data deduplication all these things, what it does, what it means is you're generating a shit ton of metadata on right. every exactly. piece of source data that you put into these collections. And AI is going to only amplify that. Well, AI is probably uh, the only thing that can actually make use of it. <laughs> right. So we're back. We're back to the metadata. Yeah, the metadata being part of the. All right. Uh, it's time to. I, I feel like I feel like I've, I feel like I've been asking the wrong. Like I'm asked. I this is this is. I I feel like I keep asking the wrong questions, and I, I'm not I'm not connecting with with. There's something I'm missing in all, in the middle of all this stuff. So, okay. But I appreciate you. Is all. it clearer now? Um, that's mud. <laughs> Well, I have a question. I, I, I might, that. I might need, to, I might want to draw like a picture or something because we keep trying to do this with words, and I keep, I keep feeling like, um, 
that they were there's stuff moving there's there's pieces and parts moving and there's there's work to husband you know the husbandry pieces of this the operations components but i i don't i i don't know where that's it's occurring in in bits and parts i don't feel like it's occurring as a discipline um it's not yet okay I, I don't, no, I don't think, think then that makes me feel better. Can, I'm, I'm not, I don't uh, think you can. No, we're, we're, uh, we're talking pretty much at the, you know, kind of the edge of the, the edge of the known world here. Seems weird for something that people have been collecting data and working on and doing for, for as long as they have, but. Uh, they've been collecting data, but, you know, Dave talked about big data. Yeah. Fine. You know, what, 15, 20, almost 20 years ago, did you start hearing about that? But it really wasn't until maybe six years ago that you really had something that even looked remotely like an engineering discipline for data. We've had software engineering for 20 years. 25, 30 years. Well, then and that would follow, that would track for us missing the operational piece because it took a long time from the software development to start an operational. I, my point exactly. And, you know, the speed with which all of this has happened is, is pretty fantastic. Okay. But it really has only been seven years that we've had anything that even remotely looked like um Data development. Design language, okay. data engineering that was truly distinct and and a focus that and data DevOps organization could address and put their 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 arms around. I find that really interesting because when I was at Gartner and even before that, before the words master data management actually became public knowledge um we were doing it then and i don't know what the but but software was software in those days and yeah. and master data management erode uh, literally came out of manufacturing because we couldn't figure out how to make the round peg in the square hole you know actually equal in some way and, and we went to, to that, that and, and i remember talking to folks about uh, about you know the, the software guys that were doing a lot of this work and you kind of say okay you're building all of the you know you're building networks you're building you know all of this technology all of the software what do you think about or what when you think about it what's going on inside the the freight cars that you're moving and they basically mm -hmm. sit there and go i'm, I'm just moving a know. bag of bits man um and, and that's not okay, my job and, right and so we looked at it from the point of view of you know the blob and if we go to orm and we use the blob we can make blobs all coagulate into a data pipeline of some sort and no, by the, master by data, the way, master I, data management was a was a very useful, very useful concept and, and a useful kind of set of structures on 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 data. But it's it was it was by comparison rudimentary to what had already been developed 
in the software in the software community. This is one of those topics that we are going to keep coming back to. Um, it's stunning to me the amount of effort and time we spend talking about data without as clear a boundary on what we're doing to govern, manage, control all those data. It's clearly a major product category coming up. It's a place that uh, if you're not struggling with it now, you will be soon. And I'm interested to see if something akin to the DevOps manifesto actually surfaces out of uh, data operations, although uh, perhaps we're not actually talking um, to the right people or with the right groups to see if there's a, a convergence coming together um, around that. That would be a fascinating thing. And Cloud 2030 could be the place where we start doing that type of work. Um, one thing that didn't make the cut on this video, um, so I encourage you to come to the meetings. So we actually had a really fascinating conversation about quantum in the pre-part, of pre-recording part of this meeting. Um, and we will come back to quantum and talk more about it. If you are interested in quantum or have views and questions, always please feel free to join us at the 2030.cloud. We'd love to hear what you have to think hear your questions too. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. All part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.